From the Library of Maria Menounos, this is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hi guys, welcome back to Book Circle Online. I'm your host, Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with Joe Kelly. Joe is a member of The Man of Action and is known for many things, including I Kill Giants, Ben 10, and the Superman story, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way, which has been called one of the greatest Superman stories of all time. His new graphic novel is called Bang Tango, and it's quite a departure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, of course. I loved the, the graphic novel. Uh, the, no character like fit a single stereotype. Good. That is yeah. very gl- good to hear. I mean, I, I definitely, did you have doubts? I, well, <laughs> concern. I mean, I wanted oh, really? to do. Well, I wanted to do a, a classic noir, right? Yeah. So as soon as you know you're going down the crime noir uh, sort of path, then the the concern is: okay, are these guys stereotypes? Are they just going to fall into the heavy and the femme fatale and all that yeah. sort of stuff? So the goal was to deconstruct that stuff. So to hear that. Oh, Th- yeah. That they didn't come off as stereotypical is is huge for me. That's, that's oh amazing. yeah, totally. I mean, like uh, just in the very like main character, Vinny is a gangster and he likes to dance. Right. He's like half a tango away from being like irredeemable, but he's right. not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I like half a tango away. He uh, well, the the um, artist Adrian Cibar is uh, Argentinian. Yeah. And um, originally he was going to be it, originally it was called the Troubadour, and he was going to be a musician and. Um, and he asked, you know, he loves tango. Adrian loves tango. And he said, oh. what do you think about he's a tango dancer? And uh, it just seemed like such a fun, quirky idea for this character. And then when I started doing research on tango and realizing the sort of, not just uh, the sexual politics of tango and the power it takes to follow as well as to lead and all the sort of stuff, that there's a there's a deep philosophy that goes along yeah. with, the, with the dance. It fit perfectly with all the stuff that I wanted to dissect in the book. So oh, then it was then it was a perfect fit. Um, but yeah, it was really Adrian's influence. He's from Buenos Aires. And, oh yeah, yeah, totally. Oh wow. And reading it too, like he's like a flawed character, which is like the cultural zeitgeist way of saying like human being, right? You know. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's like very like curt now. Was there ever like a discussion or changes made to like make sure he didn't like cross that line? Because I feel like he did not for me. No, that, that's great. He. uh no, I definitely knew – well, again, I wanted to deconstruct yeah. this sort of classic tough guy and deconstruct him through the tools that we tend to uh, – or the or the attributes that we tend to ascribe to that guy, so sex and violence. Yeah. So really by using those – peel away those layers, like these are the things that he's he gravitates towards. It seemed natural for him, but then use them to undermine that character. Yeah. Um, so I think that hopefully that, that helps – you know, to to keep him flawed, but in a way where he's not irredeemable. Yeah, you know, he is. He is so human. Um, the situation that he's in that sets him off on this on this journey, I think, would be challenging for anybody. So uh, the hope is that you could relate to him on that level, even though he does a lot of despicable things, kind of throughout. the book. Yeah, it was interesting reading about someone so like aggressively and like openly like homophobic to like strangers on the street right. you know like right. in the world of like being pc nowadays right right well and, and it's so you know when you write those scenes for me i like i write those scenes and as i write them i'm uncomfortable writing them uh oh really oh yeah no i, I mean i've had that with a couple of uh, like uh, there's another book i have uh, called bad dog and that's really vi- vile and there's a lot of uh there's a lot of comedy that's very off-color comedy and and I'll write these sequences and I just go like, boy, I would never say this out loud and I would never show it to my kids. But this is what the book is about, you know, and and Vinny is that guy like Vinny is he really is homophobic. And yeah. and 
and was before he met Autumn. You know, so this is sort of a, a through line for him. And then having to sort of struggle with, well, that's actually different from what am I dealing with in her? Yeah. Uh, that's his that's his big conflict, right? So he has to learn to put one in a box and and address that, you know, the homophobia on the one side, but then his feelings for Autumn and her situation are completely different, really. And he doesn't know how to separate that at first. Yeah, and like is, processing those feelings. Right. Yeah. Right. So this all kind of like, it's so different, like moving components and nuances. It stemmed from like wanting to deconstruct just like the crime drama. Yeah, yeah. And oh, that guy, you know, I, I really just wanted to, to take apart the, this sort of, anti-hero that we're used yeah. to seeing in all these sort of mob movies you know uh you know you look at your sort of goodfellas or you know any of the sort of classic mob movies where you are meant to relate to that person you're you're meant to sort of uh they're not really that bad a guy um most of them really are bad i mean they're yeah. not nice people um but to be brought along on that on that path and then really just get into his head you know was was sort of the goal um yeah. and um and it seemed like a pretty cool way to do it. I mean, you, yeah. you know, use it. I don't know how much, I mean, I don't know when, when you talk about books, how much we should give away or say or whatever about as far as the plot goes. I don't know what the. Um, it depends for this. Uh, maybe since this is like a, um, reissue, mm-hmm. it was came out in 2009. It's okay to like reveal more if you'd right. like, but, um, right. it's up to you. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, yeah. in that case, it's totally fine. The, um, but having, being faced with the fact that he fell in love with, a transsexual and didn't know it. Yeah. Forces him to question so many things about his like machismo and, and where he came yeah. from. And, um, and I love that. I mean, I really like that collision with a brick wall of, of reality and self-reflection that then drives the rest of the story. Totally. Um, in the classic film noir, you know, or crime noir sort of genre. Yeah. So, uh, so for me it was, it was really fun and, and as dark as he was going to get, um, the crisscrossing revelation of, okay, here's the current story as you're, he's sort of going back in time to yeah. really when he first met, um, that ultimately was a love at first sight scenario for him. And that realization sort of coming at the climax for him, um, of the story, uh, you know, I, I like that structure. Totally. So. And since you did, um, this was originally written in 2009. Um, since then, like, trans people have been the news so much and like just trans visibility has risen with the Golden Globe going to trans uh, parents and mm-hmm. Laverne Cox on the cover of Time and Bruce Jenner's reality show. Did that play into anything while you were like revamping the series? It was uh, opportune to the degree that I felt like the book was was going to be a little bit more timely for people and that it might be um, accessible to maybe a broader audience um, or of interest to people. But it wasn't so much an awareness because obviously, like I said, I wrote it a while back yeah. where this wasn't quite as in the news and, and in the in the culture as it is at the moment. Um, and I, I just find it fascinating. And like, you know, her constantly trying to remind him the difference between being trans and being gay, like that, that he doesn't get it. You yeah. Know, like was important uh, to me, you know, as a writer uh, for that character and him having to sort of crack through those those barriers. Um, so, yeah, I think what I what makes me happy now is that because obviously it is something that's that's in the news in pop culture you know we're seeing more in in film and tv um that it might open the audience you know, oh, for totally. a book like this you know? yeah and again like the deconstruction like how many femme fatale characters are like transgender women right you know <laughs> i read one review and it was like oh this is very similar to one comic and it was like from the 1980s Oh really? It's like oh, that's like quite a while, right? You know? That's funny. Uh, well, and and that was actually another concern because um, I think you run into this 
or a lot of writers run into this. Anytime we, you sort of pick uh, a person that could be classified under you know a certain group. Yeah. If you make them villainous, if you make them uh, well, again, complicated. You know, are you taking a pot shot? Is it an easy you know uh, an easy target? Are you being dismissive? You know, you have to be wary or, or at least thoughtful about it. Yeah. And that was something that I, w- I was really conscious of for Autumn because I knew she was going to fill the femme fatale role. So again, you know, this is a trope and this is something that, you know, is part of that genre and had to make sure that, uh, her reversals felt organic and that her path made sense and that it would have worked whether or not she was trans or not, you know, like that it wouldn't matter. And, um, and I think it worked out. Okay. Like I've had a few people, uh, come up to me and say, no, no, I love this character and, you know, I'm of this world and and this is okay, which is great. Um, but it's certainly something I'm conscious of because I, you don't want to, you don't want to just go willy nilly and go like, Hey, I found something that's interesting to me as a, as a writer and go in without any kind of thought process or research or any of that sort of stuff. You know, it's, it's critical. Um, because you're you're talking about real people and real issues and you know totally. real life. So um so I I loved doing that. Um I think because you also weren't telling a transition story. Right. Like you had more freedom to like right. make this a good or bad person. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it you know it's funny back in the way back in the X-Men days um I was on the book uh when they wanted to change Magneto. Magneto had been made uh, a Jewish character. Right. along the line and at the time the editor-in-chief was like oh we can't have a jewish villain <laughs> and and it was like something that became which none of us understood and people really got upset when all of a sudden he was and this is even worse honestly a gypsy which doesn't mean anything like they just sort of picked oh that's what they picked instead oh, yeah that yeah oh. and it's like oh, okay that i'm glad you just picked that out of a hat that doesn't really mean anything in this particular context i mean it really was just a general yeah. term it was not a specific country of origin or anything like that and um and we got a lot of angry letters uh oh, and then eventually we put it back which was great i actually got death threats too and a bomb threat at marvel but that was a long time ago um, but it was, but it was interesting to me and it kind of left an impression in terms of if you're going to make a choice about ethnicity or race or, you know, anything that can be a hot button issue for somebody, you just make sure you're doing it responsibly, but that those characters, uh, have to be villains and they have to be, you know, if you're, if you're going to, you can't always put them on a pedestal, of course, you know, then they're, then they are just being, uh, like fetishized. It's, it's yeah. Not, it's, and it's like reverse racism. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So there's a long way of coming around to saying sure. putting her in the in the femme fatale role i did a little bit of soul searching and i was like oh i'm just gonna do it now and we'll see what happens and and hopefully it works out okay and I, i'm certainly proud of the result totally yeah and i think because a lot of like comics and graphic novels can like gear towards a younger audience mm-hmm. for them you need to have it black and white right good characters bad characters here's the line and for this like you know everyone's kind of everything right <laughs> yeah absolutely no nobody's nobody's clean in this uh Lips is the only one who's kind of clean. Um, yeah. Everybody else is pretty... And then what happens to him? Yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah he, he definitely does not uh, end well. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I I mean, I try to do that with everything, really. I mean, even when I am doing superhero stuff, yeah. you have to find those those layers uh, within those characters. I mean, it's obviously with the, with the kids stuff, it's not the case, but... yeah. What what is the difference for you from writing like licensed known properties like Superman? Right. Like how do you respect that character and yet still like bring something new to it and like make it relevant? Um, 
for me, it's it's almost always whoever the editor is. Honestly, if the editors are willing to take chances and oh. fight for you, then it's very easy to go. Okay, this is not my toy. I have to put it back eventually. I get to play with it for a little while, but while I have it, I'm going to push the boundaries. I'm going to see how far it stretches. And as long as you have an editor who will back you up on that, yeah, um, it's it's worth it. When you have somebody who's not going to or can't go to bat for you for whatever reason, then you find yourself kind of in a box and you go, okay, well, what's the best thing I can bring to it? And usually then it's very, it's interpersonal stuff. Gotcha. Um, you know, like Superman is an example. I mean, I was told because I, I had had the run on Deadpool, which is a little, you know, saucier. And um, when I got hired, uh, Eddie Braganza was the editor. He said, you know, if, if Superman gets a haircut, it's on the cover of Time magazine. So don't do anything that will get us in trouble. Oh, wow. I'm like, okay, got it. And then cut to, you know, what's so funny what's about so funny? Truth, Justice, and, and the American Way, where at that time, Mike Carlin was the editor-in-chief. And when he was reading the script, he was, like, freaking out, like, crossing things out in red. No, no, no. Like, digging through pages about, you know, how this was not a Superman story until he got to the end and, and sort of realized what it was. That was because Eddie could go fight for it. Mike was open. You know, like, people were willing to take some wow. chances. Um, so I guess you're going to know before you sign on, though, like, what that relationship's going to be. Usually. Yeah, okay. usually. Not all the time. You sort of discover it along the way. But, you know, in the beginning of the Superman run, uh, for me, it was just I was I was newly married. So I was like, okay, let me look at Lois and Clark as a young couple, oh. even though they've arguably been together for a while. So then, then the conversations became, so, you know, how are things going on in the Kelly house? I'm like, oh, they're fine. Why? It's like, well, you know, Lois and Clark are a little, a little seem a little snarky this month. Um, and that's where I, I find for myself, like the hooks, you know, yeah. so that I, I'm enjoying what I'm writing. And the superhero stuff is always fun. And there's always some new cool way to, to play out a battle. Yeah. But it's that personal stuff that then I keep the hooks. And, and if I can, then going for broader issues, um, because comics are so fantastic for that. I mean, especially the superhero genre, you know, to be able to examine real world issues, real world consequences in the context of, you know, that kind of fiction and yeah. in that genre is, is fantastic. And uh, I love seeing like what Superman's battling next, like throughout the decades. It used to be like petty crime and gangsters. Right. Where do you think Superman's going like in the future or where would you like to see him go? Oh gosh. You know, it's funny. I haven't, I haven't looked at the, the books in a while. Yeah. Uh, not for any reason other than I just kind of tend to move forward and I don't, I don't look back on a lot of stuff, but um, I love that Superman is was built to represent the. It actually wasn't built to represent the best of us. That's actually not true. But that he that he's come to represent the best of what we could be, and the more people want to erode that, the more I want to hold on to that because I get it. It's a very complicated world that we live in. Um, none of these issues are black and white. It's very yeah. complicated. So to have somebody who's going to try to find the the right way to go or the best possible way or the most inclusive way above all else uh, that I think that character is necessary. And I, I would like to see more of that as opposed to, you know, uh, as I like to call him chiropractor, Superman who snaps necks uh, sure. to get rid of bad guys. So, uh, but that's, you know, uh, that's not what's going on. I don't know what's going on in the comics right now. Gotcha. So. Cool. Going back to Benning Tango. Yeah. Um, Adrian, did he write this while or create the graphics while he was in Argentina? Yeah. Oh, really? How much back and forth is there between you? A lot, uh, especially in, in this particular case. I work with a lot of uh, artists from out of the country and uh, for whom English is a second language. So we tend to do a lot of breakdowns and, and oh. you know, page um, layouts before they really start drawing. 
especially Adrian's style is so fluid and interesting and, and fun that to make sure that everything that's in the script is being conveyed, we have a multi-step process. Oh, wow. Um, and the same on, on Four Eyes and Bad Dog and the other, other books that yeah. I work on. It just makes life a lot easier. Because um, okay. I've, I've, I've worked with people where you, uh, you, know, you just don't get what you expected when you send it in, and by that point, it's a little late. Um, and Adrian was, uh, is great to collaborate with. I mean, there's a ton of ideas and really wanted to try to bring, you know, he, he knew we had a challenge. I mean, we've got music and dancing yeah. in a static medium. So, you know, how do you execute that? And that's why some of those panels, you know, he's trying to um, add these flourishes that are so interesting. Um, that's the fun of comics, you know? Yeah. And I, I thought it was so cool the way, like sometimes like the musical number they dance and it's like representing like this and that. And like, mm-hmm. it was cool to bring that in without making it too like obvious, you right. know? Right. And um, I, I mean, I think it's so cool. that he, It was his idea for the tango. Like I yeah. love when they're talking about like, this is control and power and you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I could see this guy liking that. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was great. And then I've been lucky enough to, to visit a couple of times. Yeah. And, when you sort of see it in the culture and, and another friend of ours, uh, who's an artist also, uh, Ariel Olivetti, he's a tango singer, uh, in a, in another lifetime. Um, <laughs> and so to get to talk to him about it too, you know, it's, it's, it's such a part of that culture and it's so interesting. There's so many layers to it. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun to explore. And then, like I said, just thematically it works so well. I mean, that's for me, if I can layer in themes and then they're externalized in something like a dance, then it makes sense to me. Yeah. I don't mind picking completely, weird surreal stuff i'm okay with that too but even then there's still got to be some tangential thematic connection for me to make it feel complete you know as a story yeah is there ever a time that he has like the text has to take up space right um is there ever a time that like what he's drawn is more like interesting or like essential to the story that you like change the text or like vice oh, sure. versa yeah that's oh, really? again one of the beautiful things about comics is that that ongoing collaboration really until it comes out i mean yeah. this you know the, the the collected graphic novel version is so different from the individual issues. Yeah, um, that like n- lack of color even to begin with. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Adrian wanted to go back and sort of revisit the art, which was which was cool. He's grown as an artist. He he's sort of had uh, more work and he's done more stuff, and so he wanted to employ some new techniques, and that's yeah. exciting. And you can do that. It's you know, it's not it's not quite George Lucas going back in and you know uh, CGIing stuff, but it's we can do it kind of up till it's published. Um, and so the same with the dialogue. I always get a second pass, um, which is great because you get inspired by what the artist gives you. And yeah, yeah and his stuff is, is really interesting. And, and having those songs, which I, I wanted to do, they do take up a lot of room. So then it was also, you know, Tom Maurer, who did the lettering in this version, did a great job of figuring out how to design that the music so that it fit. It was kind of half ghosted, so you could still see the artwork through. It was it was a big design challenge. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it, it worked great. Yeah, like exactly. the lyrics at, on the bars. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so why did you guys decide to revisit it for this time? Um, well, uh, I, w- I was able to get the rights back, um, and I always loved the project. So we wanted to uh, we were going to publish it through Image, uh, where we do our books primarily, and. Uh, and Adrian, there were just things that we couldn't do. Some of them were, were little editorial things uh, that, believe it or not, Vertigo at the time would not allow. Um, and some of it had to do with sort of just the graphic nature, the sexuality and stuff. But um, then it was really just, okay, well, if we're going to go back in, if we're going to crack it open, 
what if we change the color? What if? And it was, you know, primarily driven by Adrian. I mean, it was just his, oh. his chance to kind of fully have his vision. This was his first American work. So I, I'm pretty sure. Oh, really? So at the time, he actually did a, a great pitch, a five page fight sequence. It's, it's in, the scene is in here, but it's not the same art. Yeah. And it was great. And he inked it himself and he colored it himself. And it was much more like what you have here. And, the vertigo was not comfortable letting him kind of take those reins because they didn't know him. Oh, so because he was inexperienced, he was inexperienced, and and you know they have a book that's on a schedule and it's going to come out under certain, uh, yeah, you know certain guidelines. So so they put a team on him, and he wasn't always happy with the team, uh, which is fine, you know. Uh, so he had a chance to kind of do it again, huh? And that so that was why we went back in, and it's it. It was a really fun process for me because I, I changed some of this, the script a little bit. Yeah. Um, and there had been some printing errors, so it was nice to, oh, yeah, there's a whole page of song and dialogue missing. It would be good oh, to put that in. Things nice. like that, yeah. It's a nice pulpy throwback cover. Yeah. <laughs> the, the carefully positioned great. gun. Yes. I, I was very <laughs> excited by that cover, I have to say, uh, on many levels. Um, yeah, Adrian Adrian gets... He gets the whole thing. I mean, yeah. he really he's, he's super comfortable with the material, and he gets the um, the sort of raw sexuality, and then the sensuality, and then the emotionality. You know, like all the layers he he understands. Yeah. Um, especially in Autumn, which is which is really cool because she's, I mean, she's the linchpin of everything. Like, if she doesn't work, then the the story doesn't quite hold. Because Vinny's Vinny's arc is obviously the, what the story's about, but it's all you know catalyzed through her and. She's got to be special, yeah. Um, and I and I think the tweaks that he did in this version really help bring out some stuff. And again, like I said, he was, you know, we're looking at it now with he's got a little bit more art experience and he's a little more comfortable as a storyteller. So, how did you find him in the beginning or meet um, him? He actually met uh, my partner Steve Siegel at a con and handed him some stuff. And he, Steve, sent it to me and said, "Yeah, I think you might like this guy's art. It's kind of wow. interesting." And then I think I met him in Buenos Aires uh, at a at a convention and it was sort of you know the the convergence of those two things like oh wait you spoke to Steve I did see your stuff and and then we decided to give something a try oh that sounds way too easy yeah i've been really <laughs> lucky very lucky that's how i've, I've met so many artists uh, on on like i kill giants and, yeah. and before I was, you know at a convention sitting next to somebody oh you draw like this Great, let's let's try and do. Something. Oh, that's dangerous to tell people. They're going to come for you. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm always happy if they're talented. I'm, I'm very happy to meet them. Uh, oh, how but it's it's a cool thing about going to international conventions because people they're they're undiscovered. Um, they aren't sort of taught by the by the prevailing system. You have to draw like a Marvel or a DC comic. Sometimes they oh. are, um, like Max Fiumar, who draws. Uh, right now, he's doing a lot of work at Dark Horse, uh, but he draws Four Eyes uh, with me. His art style at DC was like this very photorealistic um, kind of static style. It was, you know, it was fine, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't attractive to me. And then he sent me a Christmas card that was this like really florid, interesting, expressionistic stuff. And I said, "Do you draw like this normally?" He said, "Oh yeah, this is my real style. That's my American style." I said, "Well, let's draw draw like that, you know." And, yeah, and you actually have to teach that lesson over and over to artists. It's amazing, but it's it's like anything else. They want to get a job. They're told by people you have to draw this way to get that job. Of course, um, they repress their own instincts, and then when they get a chance to do what they really do, luckily they still remember how. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but it's always better. It's always better. So that's how you came up with this like 
probably while he was able to do this like motion and the music because mm-hmm. he wasn't like trying to confine himself to like one style. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and most recently he's been a, a, like a fine artist. I mean, he, he does these paintings that are, you know, bigger than this wall and, and puts them up in galleries and, you know, so he's got this painterly feel and then applying that to storytelling into comics yeah. is, is really interesting. I saw some of the paintings. They're very, you can tell like a comic influence too. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's combining the, those worlds uh, for sure. So yeah, he, uh, he's an experimental storyteller, which, which was great. And sometimes, I mean, I've certainly run into the problem where we're all experimenting and that can create a little bit too much noise. Yeah. Um, does that like distract from like the story and themes? Sometimes, I mean, it can. Uh, like when it, if everybody's turned up to eleven, it can be really exciting, but it can also become sometimes a mess. And um, so then sometimes I have to pull back, or the artist has to pull back, or whatever. But I think we struck a pretty fair balance in, in Bang Tango, which is which was great. Because again, like for me, my comfort zone, especially at that point as a writer approaching a crime story i kind of i wanted the the guide posts of okay i'm doing a crime noir like i know that the guy did something in his past and the femme fatale shows up and needs help and these are these are easy you know road marks yeah. uh, milestones for me to hit and then i could put all the sort of craziness around it oh um, and you were able to not saying get away but get away with it because it's like a crime story right like exactly simple for lack of a better word yeah exactly and which is fine you know i have no problems with a, a simple story that works yeah. Um, some of the best stories are, are simple stories. It's just what do you bring to it then on a character level, on a thematic level that sets it apart. Yeah. Um, so that so for me, this was a good uh, entree new to this kind of work. And it was my first work of Vertigo. So I, I was certainly nervous about it as well. I had done create, some creator-owned stuff too. But I really, for me, Vertigo was like a brass ring because um, I wanted to do, you know, mature, respectable uh, stuff. And... Um, and I'm glad to have a chance to have that now back out in the world through image. Yeah, That's totally. Great. And then so you guys, um, for Man of Action, you write as Man of Action and then also independently mm-hmm. like this. Right. This is not. Okay. I didn't. And that's so fascinating too, like that it's man of action. Yeah. <laughs> not names, you know? Right. Like where's the ego in that? <laughs> well, exactly. We, Why we, else did you do this? <laughs> yeah. We, we made a decision really early on to as often as possible. Wow. To use the name. And, um, it's been great, and it, it it does confuse. It baffles people, especially people who want to hire us. Uh, and they're dangerous because they're not sure. Like, well, who are we getting? And you hear stories actually all the time about writing teams that uh, if something goes away, nobody knows who was the funny one, and then the team like collapses. Oh. You know, if they if they or if they split up. Because not every four, all four of you are working on one project, right? No, I mean sometimes we do. Yeah, um, but the way we work is so different. Uh, it's kind of a, this crazy assembly line. So somebody might be really good at, at story structure, and then somebody might be really good at dialogue, or somebody might be great at uh, banging out a first draft. Um, and then we all kind of, you know, put our uh, our own stink on it, uh, for lack of a better <laughs> term. Uh, but it depends. Sometimes we work in, in pairs. Sometimes we work solo. Yeah. Um, it just depends on – usually it depends on where the genesis of the project is as to whether or not our name is sort of front and center. On comics, we're, we're always our own. Yeah, uh, we haven't done a man of action comic, so to speak, okay. except some um, like little stories for like Ultimate Spider-Man or something like right. that. And then you guys are moving more towards like TV, is that yeah, right? That okay. is, yeah, because Ben Ten is man uh, of action. Oh yeah, okay. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean we've done uh, lots of animations. So Ben Ten, Generator X uh, for Marvel, we did Ultimate Spider-Man and uh, Avengers Assemble. Yeah. Um, we're 
developing some live action properties right now, which we're really excited about. Um, some, but, well, which all came from comics, uh, which is great. Yeah. Uh, it's always nice when these things find a, a new audience, uh, and get to expand. So that's exciting. But we do, we do everything. We, uh, we, ha- we all have different interests too. I mean, we have, uh, you know, one of the guys has a, a traveling play. Uh, one of the guys is in a band. You know, Duncan's obviously an artist. Uh, so he does all sorts of stuff as well as write. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, it was unbelievable reading about Ben 10. Mm. It's, it's like taking over. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a live show. There's a ride. There's, uh, it's a three billion dollar industry. That's what they tell us. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> No. You don't believe it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I do actually. I mean, I, it, it really, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, and it's amazing that it was something that was just sort of, you know, cooked up by us hanging out. It's having been like ideas. 10 years, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very exciting. And, you know, we're friends. I mean, that's the thing too. And uh, though we all have different styles, we've known each other for a very long time. I mean, I've known, I've known Steve, I've known all of them since uh, for the same length of time I've been married. I mean, oh, wow. I, I met them all basically the year before I got married. So, um, it's, it's like working with your brothers yeah. and, uh, and which is good and bad, you know, but it's, uh, it, it's a good relationship and, and the dynamics of it are, are flowing really well. Oh, okay. I imagine too, it's nice to like balance ideas off from somebody that's not like the competitive with you. Right. Right. Which, you know, in growing pains, we did go through a period where we were competing and it took a little while. That's actually in some ways where the whole, the, the man of action name on things came from was because we'd have a pitch meeting and it would be like, okay, well, here are my three ideas and here are your three oh. ideas. And when we finally just said, you know, if we all own everything, then I would happily pitch your idea. And, and that's yeah. what happened, you know? And, and I mean, you know, it doesn't matter how the sausage gets, gets made ultimately, but that's kind of how we work. Like the company takes care of the company. So, you know, Bang Tango that, yeah, I created that, but if it were to go into some other land, it would be a man of action project, yeah. you know, which is great. Um, was that it, nervous in the beginning? Oh, absolutely. Like yeah. I mean, there's name. a lot of, it's a lot of, you know, trust involved, but like I said, we've known each other for a long time. And yeah. It's just funny. It. And like this, like industry, like that's right. not common. No, it's definitely not. A good example of how it can be successful. Yeah. Though. No, it definitely can. And, uh, but it has to come from that place of respect and, um, and, and faith and, uh, that, that everybody's going to treat each other right. And, uh, and, you know, we're not saints. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it is, we are men, <laughs> right. uh, you know, it's just, uh, flawed, we, we, like your characters. Yes, we're very flawed. Um, <laughs> less killing probably. Yeah. A little less, a <laughs> little less killing. But, uh, but it's worked. It's worked for us, yeah. and uh, and we like that it baffles people. It's it's very good that um that they're not quite sure about how it, it all keeps them talking about it. Yes, yes, it does. That's so funny. In the early stages of the creative process, when mm-hmm. you're like coming up with story and characters, while you're envisioning your head, are you seeing it as like live action with moving images, or do you envision it like with still sequential pictures and gutters, like in this format? Um, for me personally, uh, it's always. Well, it starts as a collection of images that don't necessarily move. I mean, they just they just pop up. I, I sort of tend to write one of two ways: either I kind of know the whole story in advance, it just okay. you get that lightning bolt moment, which is very rare. This was kind of that. Uh, I Kill Giants was definitely that. The Superman story that you mentioned was totally that. Um, that's rare. I mean, I can kind of count them on one hand. Otherwise, then it's usually you get I get bombarded with some images. I start to see a thematic tie-in and then I apply structure and, oh, and yeah. traditional storytelling. But the visuals are just, uh, I don't, they're just visuals. So I don't know, is this a comic? Is it a, 
is it a TV show? Is it a film? Until I start kind of working on it. And then. Oh, and what tells you? Um, it's usually more a question of, of length, right? So is this an ongoing series or, or a, oh. a, a sort of complete story? Um, once I have that, then it's okay. Well, where would be the quickest, best way to get this out? Uh, obviously, trying to do a film is is challenging. So, putting out a comic, at least we know. Okay, I've gotten to tell the story. You know, I told the story the way I wanted to. Really, aside from writing prose, it's the most control you could have. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that's one of the like, unbelievable things still about comics. Yeah, it's like it's fairly much like your control, absolutely individual. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's wonderful. I mean, it's a wonderful medium, and and all all of us, even though as a company, it's nice to take things and try to transition them into other uh, uh, medium. The goal is always: is this a good story? Like we don't fans smell it from a mile away. Like you can't put out a comic that is just a test balloon to see will this be a good movie. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. And we we've, yeah. we've turned down. I can't even tell you countless jobs where people have come to us and said, we have this script, we can't sell it, would you adapt it as a comic, and then we'll reverse engineer it. And we always say no, and we always tell them it's a waste of money. Um, no one will buy it, because they know. You know yeah. It wasn't made for them. As opposed to something like this, where I really don't, I don't worry about sales when I write. I don't, you know, and this is a great example. Like, it's a, it's a project I wanted to do. I thought it was cool for Vertigo at the time, and... Uh, if it sold, it sold, and if it didn't, it didn't. Like I, I didn't care. I was happy that somebody took uh, a chance on me and and uh, and Adrian. But it was a story I just wanted to tell. You feel compelled to tell these stories, and then you hope they find the audience. And I've always believed that. And that audience might be a Ben Ten audience where you've got you know whatever hundred something countries uh, worth of kids, or it's you know maybe a smaller audience, but it's a passionate audience. And I'll take the passionate audience any day of the week. That's fine. Is it ever a worry that? Uh, like a younger audience that likes Ben 10 <laughs> is going to find your work like this. Yeah. Yeah. That is something that we, uh, you know, when we go, when we're at San Diego, we have everything set up on the table, Yeah, but we have a kid section that's pretty clearly marked. And then as kids start to migrate, we're like, no, these are not for you. You know, we guide them in the right direction, but, um, just that, censored logos everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that, that was one of the, that is one of the challenges of everything being man of action, you know? Ah. So when you, when you see some of these other projects, uh, you know, like uh, Joe Casey's got Officer Down, right? It's being turned into a film. That's a very, you know, pulp, adult, ag- aggro, like crazy story. It's going to say, have Man of Action on it. Uh, and it will be, you know, oh, yeah, they did Ben 10 and they, you know, created the characters of Big Hero 6. And yeah. So, but anybody with sort of, you know, half a brain in their head looking at the stuff goes, okay, well, this is for a kid. and this is It's not apparent good. by the cover. Yeah, this in this yeah. particular case, I don't think this is <laughs> going to be an issue. Um, but, you know, it's, it's sort of like any other any other studio slate. I mean, there are people, obviously, that just specialize uh, in one genre or one audience, but none of us want to be that. And, um, you know, one of, my, one of my heroes is Osama Tetsuka. And so he created, you know, he's like the father of manga and, and the sort of Japanese Walt Disney, right? created uh, Astro Boy and uh, uh, Kimba the White Lion and these, like, beloved children's properties and did this crazy adult work. Like, adult work that now could be on HBO. Like, oh, wow. Really provocative stuff in the in the 60s and 70s. And, and I loved that that was the same guy. And it was okay because at that point, you know, that culture 
the comics culture in Japan has always been um, much more uh, accessible and open to different genres. And it's not just, it's never been just superheroes. So this guy did whatever he wanted. And it's amazing. And, and I mean, you know, he's a writer and artist, so he produced tens of thousands of pages by hand in his lifetime. I mean, it was amazing. But I, that would, I would like to have that. I would like to have this sort of, I like that there's Ben 10 and Bang Tango and that it's all on my CV and that's cool. Yeah, you know? totally. So what else is coming up for you next? Uh, what do we have next? Uh, we're, we're doing more animation, uh, lots of animation. Um, one is called, uh, Zach Storm. Uh, it's with a, a French company. Uh, that'll be coming out in Europe before it comes out in America. Okay. Um, so won't, won't show up for a while though. You know, everything on animation is like a year in advance. Um, like I said, developing some stuff for, for live action, uh, in the comic book, uh, land, um, the next arc of four eyes is going to come out this year. Uh, we're also reprinting the first trade of four eyes. Um, oh, awesome. and I don't know if you know, if you're familiar with that story, but it's, um, dragon fighting and depression era Brooklyn. Uh, so were there dragons back then? Yeah, apparently. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And they were kept right. sort of underground dogfight uh, style. <laughs> I saw the covers for that. Yeah. I guess the originals. Yeah. 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 And that's uh Max Fumar drew that. And, um, so that's going to come out this sort of, it's been a while sometimes because of these other obligations, I get a little derailed, you know, like my babies kind of sit on the shelf. So, um, so the next arc of four eyes has been a long time coming, but it's finally getting done. So I'm excited about that. Uh, more bad dog as well, uh, which like I said, is this crazy adventure, nasty comedy. Rom. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And we're just constantly, I couldn't even tell you, I've, we have so many things that we're juggling, but another project with Ken, uh, Nomura, who I did Eichel giants with. Um, and then, uh, and then we'll see. Cool. Yeah. Great. Well, this was so much fun. Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate course. it. Cool. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Until then, you can find all of our stuff and more at bookcircleonline.com. And of course, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and iTunes. Goodbye. From managing editor Jason Scomata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.